Romans 15, and we're going to read from verse 1 through 16. The Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his letter to the church in Rome, and he's concluding here, basically 14 and 15, he's concluding all the aspect of working together within the body of Christ and all that involves, and especially pinpointing difficult areas. So we catch this in the middle in chapter 15, and as I said, I would like to read the first 16 verses. He says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order that to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Let's ask the direction of the Lord. Father, as we look at this passage this evening, Guide our hearts, our thoughts, that we might understand, as Paul did, your passion for the world, and especially the undeserving world. Help us to understand that and put it into our lives and living it. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in a messy world. 
I don't have to convince you about that. Those of you who have contact with the world on a weekly basis know that there are a lot of messy things going around you and perhaps in your own home, in your extended family, in your workplace, perhaps in your neighborhood, even here in church. We notice that some of you have reached out and pulled some of those people who are living those messes into your home. We live in a messy world. Uruguay is a country full of messy people. For a small country of only 3.2 million people, they have the highest suicide rate in the Western Hemisphere. In our church, all of the adults that are in our church, only one young lady grew up with both her parents, with both her natural parents. The dysfunction in the family has now occurred across generations, as it is happening here in the United States. And the anger and the frustration and the confusion that comes with all of that type of family causes a lot of young people to make bad decisions and take roads that lead them down the paths of drugs, illegal practices, breaking apart their families, We live in a messy world. But you know, the Apostle Paul lived in a messy world too. The Roman Empire was a very messy world. It's true that at that time, people said all roads lead to Rome. This letter was written to that city and the church of Jesus Christ in that city. All roads lead to Rome because Rome was the capital of the empire and the Romans were very good about building roads so that all the commerce and all the comforts that they wanted would bring, would come easily to the capital of the empire. But you know something else they said at that time? Rome is the cesspool of the empire. When we flush our toilets in the, out in the country, it goes into a cesspool. That means it's really messy and stinky. Well, that was the city of Rome. Both in a physical sense and in a spiritual sense. The tendency of the Christian church to which Paul is writing could have been to copy what they had lived before those who were in the Jewish community. And what had they lived before? 
commerce with the world? Yes. Work for the world because they were artisans of some kind? Yes. Share the culture with the world? No. Religion with the world? No. If the world comes into our community, our culture, okay. And it would have been very easy for the Gentile Christian church, who some of them were Jewish, and then proselytes, the Gentiles who were proselytes, to continue that tendency. Commerce with the world? Yes. Share our religion with the world? No. It's for us. It's too messy out there. We might get splattered. Well, that's not what the Apostle Paul did. And here in the book of Romans, for sure, it's a treatise of salvation from before the time of actual regeneration, the first three chapters is talking about those why we are condemned before God. And then chapter 321 up through the end of chapter 5, what does it mean to be a Christian and how to grow in the Christian life? Then, beginning in chapter 9 through 11, What happened to Israel? Where is Israel in the plan of God? And how is it that people come to God at this time? And finally, in 12 through 16, how do we serve God within his body? It's a treatise of salvation. But the last part here, 14 and 15, because 16 is basically He's greeting different people, sending greetings, and just comments about those people. But 14 and 15, he's talking here about God's heart towards a messy world. And the Apostle Paul is sharing his heart because he's understood the grace of God for him, chief of sinners, as he says in 1 Timothy, He's understood it, so he also understands that it's complicated to reach out to a messy world. But God, through his instruction and through his spirit, can help us navigate those difficulties. Just an example, chapter 14, 1 through 12, he talks about receiving one another with understanding. Understand each other and receive each other. In verses, chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, build up one another without offending. Then we move into chapter 15, bear with and please one another with Christ as our example. Verses 1 through 6. And finally, 7 through 13, work with one another in the plan of God. This includes both Jews and Gentiles. I'd like to consider quickly the first seven verses and then concentrate more on the eight, uh, eight through the end of, of our passage. 
he starts out here and he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. He's talking about a condition of the believers, those who are strong. What does he mean by that? He means those who are mature in Christ, well-developed because of their walk with Christ, mature towards others because they've learned obedience by experience. There's a sense of people in every congregation that you could say they are mature believers, not not especially emphasizing age, but emphasizing more the walk and experience and strength of having a life obedient to Christ. But there's an obligation. Also, the strong could be a... Those who have learned other-centeredness and not self-centeredness have learned to be involved in others' needs, as it states here. Also, the strong could be those who are obedient to Christ, following his example, and here it says, we have an obligation. If we are strong in our faith and in our walk with Christ, we have an obligation. First, to Christ. But secondly, he says here, bear with the failings. Those of you who have raised children know that the most frustrating thing about our children is when there are failings, when they don't obey us, when they disobey us. That's probably when we as parents get the most upset. Our children have failings. So do adults. So do adults who should know better. So do adults who should know better, and it'd be infinitely better for them to obey and walk with the Lord, and yet they don't. (sighs) And Paul says... Bear with the failings. The idea of bear with is to carry them. They've stumbled. They've fallen. So they need some help standing up again and walking. That takes effort, sacrifice. It's not always comfortable. It doesn't always produce the results we want. Paul says, because he's learned it from Christ, bear with. And he also says this, and not please ourselves. Wow. Probably the greatest struggle in the Christian life is to not in some way even in ministry, have things turn around towards ourselves. It's true, we've heard. It's not about us. That's right. But it's very hard for us not to want to be pointed out, included, if we've made an effort, be recognized. Somebody, at least one person, 
you know, saying, you did a good job. That's not bad. That's not wrong. But it doesn't always happen in ministry. There are a few people in BBS that were recognized, some by name, some in groups. But you know what? Every one of you who served would like to say, and we'd like to say, and anybody who does ministry, that we can get to a point where we're not doing it just to please ourselves. And it goes on, and it says here, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Not please the people we deal with, some of the messy people we may touch the way they want. No, it's for their good. What builds them up? And there is a definite criteria there. People need to be built up. They need to be, they need our service, our help, our bearing with them. But for their good. Not to perpetuate irresponsibility. Not so they'll depend on us and not learn to depend on the Lord. But there's a process there. And then he says, For Christ did not please himself, for as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For if whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is a word now he uses a lot. I like the word in Spanish, esperanza. Hope basically has two aspects to it. Esperar means to wait, to wait patiently. And the other aspect of hope or esperanza is viewing with a view towards the future towards the future of God's completing his promises. We wait patiently with a view towards the future of what God has promised he will fulfill. And he's saying here that we learn to serve others for their good as Christ did so that we might have Hope for them, for us. Why are people's lives messy? Because they have no hope or their hope is placed in the wrong thing, in getting ahead, in having the next Nice moment. Living for the weekend. Living for the vacation. Living for having that material thing that I've wanted all my life. But there's no hope in that. That continues. (laughs) 
continues to say in verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is he saying? He's saying here, look, may God grant you, us, endurance, perseverance, as we reach out to people who are messy, are difficult, who have no hope. May God grant us perseverance. And also, he says here, and encouragement. Why? Because sometimes, and this even in raising our kids, we're not encouraged by what's going on around us at this point. In the ministry, that happens too. Everybody who's worked in the ministry knows this. Things may be very good, going very well, and praise the Lord for those times. But even in those times, there are always significant challenges. A week doesn't go by for those people in ministry that challenges in the ministry that have to, one has to face aren't cropping up or aren't continuing. So Paul is saying we need perseverance encouragement through the scriptures by the spirit of God so we may continue in our Lord Jesus Christ or through our Lord Jesus Christ and then we have verse 7 I call it a hinge verse you know like a door has hinges well a door you come from one room to another He's changing here in verse 7 to the next subject that he wants to emphasize. And basically he talks here about Paul's heart was to unify Jews and Gentiles as God had taught him. He wanted to unify the Jewish and Gentile church as God had taught him. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Let me ask you a question. Who are the, quote, Gentiles in your life? Those who didn't grow up in a Christian culture. Those who know more about the world's culture than they do about church, the Bible, God, Who are the Gentiles in your life? Family members? In Uruguay, many of our young adults are first-generation Christians, and many of them are the first Christians in their families. So, yeah, in their immediate family, in the families they grew up in, there's a lot of messy lives. What about yours? Do you have Gentiles, so to speak, in your family? Your extended family? Your co-workers? 
those who have no idea what a church culture is like. When they speak, you just kind of... Because they don't know how to speak. Three sentences without saying a swear word. Those who work in the Air Force probably know what that's like. Or any other place. People who make bad decisions on a weekly basis. And then have messy lives. Who are the Gentiles in your life? I know who the Gentiles in our lives are. So what did Paul learn from the Lord about those Gentiles? And he continues here saying in verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The idea here of welcoming is to receive, to open your arms and embrace them. Obviously, talking about those who are coming to Christ know very little about the lifestyle of the Christian, but they're coming to Christ, they're listening, they're believing. Open your arms, welcome them. He says here, Welcome them as Christ has welcomed you. Hmm. It's hard for us who grew up in Christian homes. I did. Some of you did. Others haven't. Most of you kids are growing up in Christian homes. Sometimes it's hard for us to understand people who didn't grow up in Christian homes. And for them, living messy lives is just normal life. And talking and deciding and walking the way they do is just normal life. But when they begin coming to Christ, he's saying, open your arms, receive them. As Christ opened his arms and received us. In verse 8, Paul says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. He's saying here, okay, look, just like he said in the first chapter, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to all who believe, to the Jew first... And also to the Gentile. The Jew first. That's what he's saying here. It was absolutely necessary that Christ in his time came to the Jewish nation. And offered salvation as it had been promised in the Old Testament to the Jewish people. The leaders... And all the congregation, all the people. And that's what Christ did. Very few times did he have contact with Gentile people, though he did. 
we think of John chapter 3. Jesus with Nicodemus. Now, he wasn't a messy person, or at least he didn't think he was. He was a very, he had the culture, he had the religion, he had everything right. Except the most important thing. Salvation wasn't by religion. It was by believing in Jesus. And Nicodemus was struggling with that. And yet, chapter 4, we have Jesus with the Samaritan woman. Not a Jew. He went to Sychar because he needed to go there. And meet with her. And talk to her. A messy Messy person. Five husbands and living with somebody who wasn't her husband. And Jesus went there to take hope. Just one more example in the life of Christ, the Syrophoenician woman with a demon-possessed child, not a Jew, a Gentile. And yet, Jesus extolled her faith. And you say, okay, so his apostles, especially the 12, should have understood that very clearly. It took a long time for them to understand that Gentiles could come in to the body of Christ without coming through the filter of the Jewish religion up until chapter 10 and then reconfirmed again in chapter 15 of the book of Acts. It took a long time. But with the coming of the Apostle Paul and his ministry to the Gentiles and being the Apostle to the Gentiles, this was coming to fruition of what it was also predicted in the Old Testament. And that's why Paul takes time here to give four references in the book of Psalm and Isaiah. And he says in verse 9, And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, glorify God for his mercy. They knew They didn't deserve his salvation. Jesus said, He who has been forgiven little will love little. And he who has been forgiven much will love much. So the Apostle Paul understood. I was the chief of sinners, he said. I was forgiven much, even though I thought I had the right kind of culture and the right kind of religion. So he turns around, and here he's talking about the Gentiles from the Old Testament, showing that this was always God's plan. And he says, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing your name. And we have a progression here in these verses. First of all, the psalmist is saying, I will praise you and, and sing among the... Chen-. They're there observing us. At this point, they're not singing with us. They're looking on and observing. 
maybe standing outside the congregation or even outside the temple or watching them coming up the pathways towards Jerusalem for the Passover and observing and saying, wow. But then it says, and again it said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with its people. Now, they're there. They're singing with the people of God, the Gentiles. They're part of the praises that are being lifted up to the Lord. And then again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples. And they're talking about the, not the, the Jewish people, but the peoples of the earth. The peoples extol him. Okay, now the Gentiles are doing it on their own. And finally, he says, and again Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, speaking of Christ, will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and listen to this, in him will the Gentiles hope. If you understand what it has been to be a Gentile, far from God, far from his word, far from his people, and somebody talked to you about Jesus. As I said about my mother, It took her 12 years in this life to find people who talked to her about Jesus and gave her hope. Hope for eternity. And through her life and through my father's life, who also grew up in a in a home and was saved as an oil company kid in Maracaibo, South America. Not because his parents were missionaries, they were oil company workers. With all the vices that come with that kind of life, normally. Because somebody was willing to get messy, or at least splattered by the mess that his life was, that her life was, and bring them hope. And here, a benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow in hope. People of God, a messy world is around us. But they need to see the life of somebody who has God's peace, God's joy. And you overflow in hope. Not complaints, hope. Messy world, you bet. So how do you face it? Don't look at the world for my hope. I look at God and his working in my life. And how I can navigate this world, this messy world, for good. 
for God, for hope. And then the commendation to the Roman church, to Cornerstone Bible Church. You know, I started searching out this message because of these three verses. And then the Lord just opened up this passage, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is great. But listen what it says. It's talking about strong people, mature people. And Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, you in Rome, who are having to live in that messy city, that you yourselves are full of goodness. God's goodness. It's not an isolated goodness. For sure, it is purity. That's an absolute. But it's God's goodness that extends grace and understands mercy. Full of goodness, the character of God in us. And he says, and filled with all knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge of the scriptures, knowledge of salvation, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the gospel, filled with the knowledge of how to confront a messy world. Character and understanding. Life and understanding. So, what can you do? So, he says here, and are able to instruct one another. That word instruct, those of you who read a book that was written over 25 years ago called Competent to Counsel by a man named Jay Adams, he coined this word into Nuthetic counseling, nutheteo. That means to confront in order to correct the thinking. You're able to confront one another, but with goodness. One another. In order to correct our thinking about what, Paul? About a messy world. And how to take hope to them. And he says, so that you are able to instruct, confront one another to change your understanding of how to live in this world. And then he says, but on some points I have written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What is Paul saying? In this task of being the apostle to the Gentiles, in this task of reaching out to a messy world, in this task that he had suffered tremendously going from place to place to take the gospel, 
Paul said, I'm like a priest. And what I bring to the Lord is an offering of Gentile believers that only God can accept and change and transform. But Paul says it's a privilege. I'm like a priest bringing the offering so that God might forgive and cleanse and the person offering that might have a new relationship, a reestablished relationship with our God. When I finished high school and came back to the States to study, one of the places I was, I stayed was here in Xenia with Sue Hunt's parents, Howard and Marge Weaver. My parents were still missionaries in Columbia. And it was frustrating to me that people would say, so now you've finished high school, you're going to prepare to be a missionary, right? No, not me. A pastor? No, not me. Why not? That's my parents. So I started my first year in a Christian liberal arts college. Christian liberal arts because, you know, I didn't, wasn't going to go to a secular college. I, I still wanted the Christian influence. But I wanted to be my own man and do my own thing and be a part of a church somewhere and live my life. And it took about a year and a half, the Lord working in my heart. And in one missions conference, he had changed me from the Christian liberal arts to a Bible college, supposedly for one year. And in one missionary conference, somebody saying, one of the speakers saying, look, young people, the first step is this. Stop saying no to God about anything in your life. People of God, there's a lot of messy people around us. Stop saying no about anyone to God. Starts there. That's where it started with me. And when I finally said, okay, Lord, I'm willing to do what you want. That's what you need to do. Okay, Lord, I'm willing to talk to, step out and confront, greet whoever you put in my pathway, even if their life is tremendously messy. I'm willing. You know what? It changes our life. It gives us joy and peace and a life that overflows with hope in a world that needs 
to receive that hope. May our Lord help us be people of hope that are reaching out to a messy world because that's what the Lord has done with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul, for this letter, for these verses, for these truths. Help us not to just rehearse them in our minds, but that your spirit might convict our souls and change the direction if that's what you desire. In Jesus' name, amen.